you sometimes feel like your brain works faster than normal or you work with someone whose brain is faster than normal, stay tuned for my fascinating interview with Peter Shankman, author of Faster is Normal and an expert on ADHD and how to be successful. Stay tuned. Hi, Shannon Waller here and welcome to Team Success. Today, I am very excited to talk with the author of a book that I read in one weekend. It's called Faster Than Normal by Peter Shankman. And I was completely enamored. This book is filled with so many practical strategies and healthy mindsets about ADHD and about how to be successful and about teamwork. So Peter, welcome to the show and I'm delighted to meet you. Great to be here, thanks. Good. All right, so let's talk about Faster Than Normal and what kind of compelled you to write this book because there's a a great backstory that you have. Uh, Yeah, I mean, I grew up with what was called sit down, you're disrupting the class disease. And uh, it wasn't until my mid-30s that I was diagnosed with ADHD. And so I was able to sort of put that together and and realize that the majority of stuff that I did that both got me in trouble as a kid and was part of my success as an adult was all tied to that. And so once I realized that, I realized what I could do to fix that and use that to my advantage and keep growing it and maybe start the conversation about why uh, neurodiverse um, people are not broken, but rather gifted if they understand what they're doing. So that's really interesting. And I love that we'll jump into this mindset. And I also want to just acknowledge how I met you, which is through our mutual friend and podcast partner, Andre Brisson, who has a great podcast called The Impulsive Thinker. And there's really so much more of a conversation happening now about ADHD, about entrepreneurs. I'm a big fan of Tom Hartman's supposition that we are hunters in a farmer's world. And I love how much you are focused on really looking at this as a gift and helping people be successful with this gift because it can be a superpower if managed correctly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what I've always said. Um, you know, I just think that we're told from uh, the time we're very young that we're broken. So you have to undo that while setting people up for success as well. How hard is it to undo? Does it depend on the amount of negative programming you've gotten? How do you take a look at that? What do you notice? I think it depends on the person. It depends on the uh, premise that, you know, how did they grow up? What did they understand about themselves? Were they constantly fighting it? Did they let it work their I mean, no way. By the time I was in college, I started the process. I didn't realize that time, but I was starting the process of not caring what other people thought. And that just continued to go over time. And it got better and better. But yeah, it was difficult. You know, it was, for me, it was hard. You know, when you're told that when you get sent home with a note from school every single day, you know, that says you're doing something wrong, when in your mind, it's the exact right thing. It's a problem. Mm-hmm. I totally get that. Part of what enamored me about the book was your title, Faster Than Normal. So how do you see ADHD? Because I appreciate your perspective, and I think it's different than other people I've heard. Yeah, I mean, to me, ADHD is simply the body's inability to make the dopamine, serotonin, and adrenaline that a normal person creates when they need to focus. So for me, you know, I would sit down in math class and I wouldn't focus. I'd be looking around, looking for something to excite me, something to get me going. Eventually, I'd wind up telling a joke or make the class laugh. And, and unknowingly, doing that would give me the dopamine hit that I needed to focus. Of course, I'd be in trouble. I'd be at the principal's office or whatever. But the irony is that I was actually trying to focus. So upon growing up, I've learned other ways to get that same result, whether that is through skydiving or marathoning or triathlon, whatever it is, I've I've learned ways to do it in a way that works for me. Awesome. I know we're going to get very shortly jump into some strategies, including partnering with really good people. I know what adrenaline is. Can you make a clear distinction for me between dopamine and serotonin? 
they're two different chemicals that the brain makes. Mm-hmm. Together, they do certain things. Apart, they do certain things. Serotonin is thought of as a love drug on occasion. Dopamine is a focus drug. You know, you put them together. As the bios increase, decrease, you can get everything from sadness to extreme focus to hyperactivity. You name it. It depends on where the levels are. You know, I'm not a doctor and I'm not a scientist, but this is my understanding based on sort of experiments I've done on myself and things I've read. Okay. Can you share some of the strategies that you use to up your levels? Because you're very conscious and conscientious about how you set yourself up for success every day. Yeah, I mean, I don't start my day with an exercise. So I, first thing I do when I wake up is I jump on either my bike or I go for a run or something. I don't have the ability not to do that. If I do that, that's just not a good day. So for me, it's very much about figuring out what I can do first and foremost. So sometimes if I have an early start to my day, that might mean getting up as early as 3 a.m. To You know, this morning I was up at 4.30 to get a ride in at 5, from 5 to 6, just to get an hour, you know, 20 miles in on the bike to get that, those chemicals. And, you know, my day started at 7. So that's one way. Another way for me, I get on a plane, I'll fly 14 hours and I'll write the entire time. And I'll, I've written uh, all five of my books on airplanes. <laughs> Sometimes I fly to Asia just to write and I fly right back. Can you tell that story? Because in the book, you talk about you had a deadline and you had a very effective strategy for making sure you met the book deadline. Yeah, I had two weeks left on a deadline. I'd written nothing. So I booked a round trip to Tokyo. I wrote chapters one through five on the flight out, landed, went to the lounge, took a shower, had a cup of coffee, got back in the same plane, same seat. Three hours later, wrote chapter six through 10. And it worked. You know, it, it's not what a lot of people will do. But for me, it's exactly what I needed to do. That's so cool. And you knew that. So you were not stressed about it. Was your publisher stressed? Uh, publisher didn't know. <laughs> a little easier there. That's a really good point. Yep. Okay. So you'll jump on a plane to write a book. Half of it on the way there, half of it on the way back. I love that. What are some of the other things that you do? Because you have a real commitment to be successful, a commitment to be a great dad, you know, a commitment to live your best life. And you have some rules about what always will happen or that won't happen and the consequences if you don't. So can you share some of those rules? Because they're essential, but I think people overlook them a lot. I mean, it, it starts out again with, with exercise. That has to be first and foremost. Secondary is enough sleep to get up as early as three or four in the morning, I go to sleep around eight or nine o'clock at night. Mm-hmm. You know, people think it's crazy, but there's really nothing I can do outside. Nothing really good. There's a quote that says nothing good happens after midnight. Nothing really good happens for me after 8 p.m. I mean, you know, it's very rare that I'll go to dinner or do late night or something like that or go to a party. I'm much happier going to sleep early knowing that I can get up early. That works for me. And so I'm a big fan of that. I, I think that, again, a lot of people focus on sort of the short term. I tend to look constantly looking at 12 hours in the future. What's going to happen in 12 hours from now, 12 hours from now, 12 hours from now, and how do I have to get there? How do I want to feel in those 12 hours? And so how do I get there to make sure that in 12 hours I'm in the better place, right? And it sounds crazy, but it does work. And then you work backwards and make sure you design everything. Yeah, it's the premise of, okay, if I want to, do I want to have a good day? So tonight I have, you know, do I really want to get up and go to the gym? I'm kind of tired. Well, where am I going to be at? All right, it's 4 a.m., right? So I could sleep in. How am I going to feel at 4 p.m. if I don't go to the gym? Right? And I work backwards from that. And that gives me usually enough of the answer to know what I need to do. <laughs> I love how you're, you've got good habits, but you're disciplined to yourself, if that makes sense. I don't have a choice. I mean, I don't have a choice. If I want to be the best I could be, I need to make sure that I'm doing the right things to get there. Got you. I love that story. Let's jump in and talk a little bit. We'll just bounce around because we like to do that. Let's talk a little bit about teamwork. You have your Megan. I have my Katrina. Prior to that, I had Nicole. How critical is it for you to have other people who have complementary, I feel like this is a rhetorical question a little bit, but how critical has that been? I mean, you talk about in the book, 
I think we share a very similar experience with what a difference that can make. At the end of the day, you have to know yourself. Mm-hmm. If you don't know yourself, nothing you do is really for you. Oh. Right? And I think that it's fine to want to please other people. You know, I love making sure my daughter's happy. It's, it's fine to do all this stuff, but you have to start by knowing yourself. If you don't understand yourself and you don't understand the way that you work and you don't understand what's best for you and how to get there, you know, the Greeks have a saying, the ancient Greeks, it uh, says, if you're not putting care upon you, there will be no care unto others. And it's a very accurate statement. How can you possibly be the best for anyone else, whether it's your daughter, your business partner, your spouse, your partner, you know, if you're not first taking care of yourself. And, and I think for many years, it was considered, considered selfish to put yourself first. But in certain ways, you don't really have a choice. If you want to be the best you can be, then you have to make sure you're operating the best you can be in the best way you know how. Mm-hmm. I love that. You have to know yourself. One of the ways that I do that at Strategic Coach is I use a lot of profiles. I don't know if that's something you've explored. So we talk about Colby, we talk about Clifton Strengths. There's another great one called Print to put common language around how each of us is actually unique. It sounds kind of contradictory, but it's not. Is that anything that you've explored, anything that you've done? Have you found it helpful or not? What's your take on profiles? You know, I don't really have a, I mean, I know who I am and I know what I do. I don't need to examine it more than that really until something's not working. Right. When something's not working, I'll figure it out and I'll go from there. But yeah, I don't really have to, you know, put myself into a profile or do anything like that because at the end of the day, I'm just the only person I need to make sure that I've done better than is me yesterday. Mm. So you're not comparing yourself to other people. No, there's absolutely no point. You know, I used to do that when I would race and I'd, I'd go for, I'd do a 10K and whatever. I, I'd, never mind the fact that I finished better than 6,000 people. It was, the, it was the 400 people I didn't finish better than that I'd spend the day worrying about. And I was like, for what? For what point? So that's really, you know, you have to be aware of that. And I focus on the fact that I did better on this race than I did in the last race and go from there. Mm, I love that. You're always measuring what we call the gain. I like it. One of the other parts of the book that I found so insightful was triggers both professional and personal triggers. And the way that I read it, which I think is how you intended it, is that there's triggers that take you out of being your best self or your most productive self, and they can totally hijack your really good intentions. Is that summarized it? Yeah, I mean, I am very aware of how, uh, what certain things can do to me. I'm very aware what alcohol can do to me. And so as such, I try very hard to avoid alcohol. And I very rarely drink. And because it's because of that, the reason I really drink is because I don't just have one drink. Right. Again, you have to know yourself. And for me, it's not a question of wondering. So it's much easier not to drink, right? <laughs> Let's just not have that first one. And then we don't have to worry about not having a second one. That is pretty much always the situation. Understanding sort of what you're doing, how you're doing it, how you're getting there. Again, playing the tape forward 12 hours. If I do this thing, will it affect me poorly mm-hmm. in 12 hours? And so yeah. a lot of it for me is always that. I really love how you you kind of accept yourself for who you are as opposed to trying to be different. That's one of the the messages consistently throughout your book is that, yeah, if this is me and I want to be this person, I'm just not going to do that. It took a long time to get there. Did it? Okay. It took a long time to get there because the world tells you what you're supposed to be right. or what they believe you to be. Yes. And you find more often than not that that's not, in fact, who you are. Right. And and if you're trying to be that, it's very hard to be that when you're not designed to be that way. You're constantly forcing yourself to be something you're not. And so for me, it was about realizing who I am and making peace with it. 
Mm -hmm. And then working with yourself to figure out what works, what doesn't, what habits. And even though we won't go into that many of them today, you have so many hacks that you've shared, so many applications, habits, the vest you wear when you're traveling, like all the things. I loved it. It was such a practical, like here, I've figured this out. Use this. It's a very helpful book. Well, thank you. I mean, I think a lot of it, again, comes down to the fact that this works for me. Mm -hmm. This may or may not work for you. Try it. And maybe if it doesn't, maybe alter it, maybe change it a little bit and see what you can do differently. Mm -hmm. Right. But understand that everyone is different and everyone's going to come up with different ways that work for them, but figure out what that is for you and go from there. It sounds so simple, but people don't do it. Well, they don't because they're not really trained to, they're not designed to. It's not thought of as a good thing, right? It's, mm-hmm. I think we're taught more to adapt ourselves to the lifestyle than make the lifestyle work for ourselves. Yeah. And so I've just tried to make a lifestyle work for ourselves. It's not always easy. It's, you know, quite often not easy, but, you know, you do it in such a way that it becomes a little easier every day. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, what I want to be able to do is help people. And so again, I, I tell them what works for me and I try that, but again, it's not going to work for everyone. And so I made peace with that too, right? I am free to give you this advice. If you don't want it, tell me to go away and I'm more than happy to. Yeah. Yeah. It's a gift given very freely. But I, again, as someone who loves practical strategies, it was like, oh my God, I'm going to check this. I'm going to check that out. And <laughs> highlighted like all of the things because it was useful. And so it's a very practical way to think about things that can also be very helpful for people who are not ADHD, as Ned Howell talks about, they're pseudo ADD. We live in kind of a culture where things are coming at us all the time and we kind of all need to have these skills and these hacks and this awareness to be functional with all of the inputs that we're getting. Yeah. I mean, I'm not a fan of that term because I think that people tend to drop the pseudo, I can't find my keys. It must be ADHD. No. How about just put your keys somewhere where you can find them? I think it might be a little easier for you. And so that's a bit of an issue as well. And I see that a lot. I don't think we need to start giving the name itself different names. I think that we deal with enough, just that sort of as it is. Enough challenges as it is. Excellent point. I like that. So I want to go back and talk about, tell me about your Megan and how you guys work together. Megan has been my assistant since 2008, and she controls the majority of my life. She is in charge of my travel schedule. She is in charge of my calendar. She doesn't let me do many things without her permission, and that's for both of our sakes. She took right access away from my calendar when about 10 years ago when I booked two dinners on the same night, and I said, oh, you know, it's not that big of a mistake. You're overreacting. She goes, well, you booked them on separate continents, so you're done. And that was the last time I had to my calendar. And, and it's the right thing because, you know, I pay her to keep me at peak performance, for lack of a better word. And she's able to do that by doing the things that she's very good at and taking them off my plate, the things that I'm not very good at. And so because she can do that, I don't have to worry about them. And more importantly, it's guaranteed I'm not going to screw them up, right? Which wasn't a guarantee when I didn't have her. 100%. I have travel trauma stories where because I didn't have the right birth certificate, we were delayed on our African safari trip. So we missed the first safari, and then there was another delay going to Australia, all the things. So I was reading your travel things, and I'm like, oh my gosh, I could write similar things. I should just not be allowed to book travel. Bad things happen. Well, and that's what you have to understand. So when that's the case, that's the case. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you have to let it work in your world. Don't bother trying to fight the fights that, that either aren't winnable or that take too much time away from the fights you enjoy fighting. 
<laughs> I like that story. So I want to talk more about how ADHD is a superpower. What are the gifts that we've talked about how to manage some of the downsides? But what are some of the gifts that you notice? And you also work in our communities of ADHD people and entrepreneurs. So we're, and that's our audience. So what do you see as being the real wins? How do you define the gifts? How do you define, you know, what the actual opportunities of ADHD are? One of the biggest problems with big companies is that if they're not constantly engaging and innovating, they tend to fail. Well, when you work at the same company with the same people, it's kind of hard to innovate that much. And one of the nice things about ADHD is that ADHD creates ingenuity. Mm -hmm. Part of being ADHD is thinking about things differently and thinking about, well, what if what happens here? What if we do that? What if this? And from there, it's very, very easy to grow different ways of being. And so what I found when I try to tell companies when I teach them about neurodiversity is that if you are able to hire the neurodiverse and give them a, a safe space to create and to engage and to to grow, they will come up with ideas that you in a million years, you're, you and anyone in your company would never have thought of. And you will find them to be pretty incredible if you give them that shot. But you have to make them feel safe enough to do that. Because I remember mm. one of my first jobs is ice cream store or whatever. I suggested something crazy and they fired me. They didn't get it. And that's fine. But, you know, you have to understand that the people are different and give them that safe ability to sort of create mm -hmm. and know that they're going to be safe when they do that. The idea might not stick. The company might not go with the idea, but give them the opportunity to create those ideas. That's a really great point. I mean, the term psychological safety has been very well researched by Google, but this is really applied to very specifically neurodiverse people that you actually need and want if you're focused on mm -hmm. innovation and growing, 100%. but you may not have capacity. You have, may not have coached your leadership team, your management team on how to in be inclusive of those people. And sorry, That's very true. Inclusive is not my favorite term, but you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. Yeah, very cool. So I love the ingenuity part. What else? What's another gift of ADHD that you notice? I think a lot of it is being great in emergencies. The downside is we're not great in the day-to-day. -day. We have to work on stuff for the day-to-day. -day, but when it comes to like, a, I'm the person you want when something blows up. Right. I'm the person you want when there's a, something that needs to be solved or a crisis that you would never have expected that needs to be fixed. I'm that person you want on that team because I'll fix that. Mm -hmm. I love it. When... Everything changed in March 13th of 2020. You know, my calendar blew up. Dan Sullivan, co-founder of Coach's calendar blew up. And we were like, oh, goody, what can we do now? <laughs> we started recording new podcasts and you created a bunch of new tools and creating value for our entrepreneurial community. It was so fun. That was not how most people were looking at yeah. the lockdown. But we were just like, ooh, creativity central. And we innovated so many new things, him especially. So yeah, and that is a very unusual approach to emergencies. Love, love that one. Yeah, a big believer in that. Yeah, 100%. Let's talk about deadlines. How crucial are deadlines? You have to have them. I mean, if for me, if I don't have a deadline and I don't have a specific date and time when something needs to be done, mm -hmm. then when I get the assignment, it's the most important thing in the world until the next most important thing. The second I get a new assignment, that's the most important thing in the world. But if I have a deadline, I can back it up. Say, okay, the most important thing in the world is this because it's due in three hours right. or it's due tomorrow. And then the thing after that is due on Thursday. So that's the next most important thing. The thing after that is due next week. That's the next most important thing. So it's a wonderful way to tell your brain, hey, focus on this because you have to. Right. Right. As opposed to, ooh, focus on that because it looks interesting. Oh, no, how about that? You know, so even when the client says, oh, just get to me whenever. I'm like, no, give me a date. Yes. I need a date. I need to know when this is supposed to go because if I don't have it, I won't do it. Well, I think team members need to do this too, because you kind of have to manage up when you have an ADHD yeah, owner or team leader. It's like, okay, even a friend of mine, one of the three of us is not ADHD. She oh, it could be this day or this day. I'm like, 
Choose a date, hon. <laughs> we just have to know. It's like, if you don't give me a deadline, there is none. Yeah. You'll never get it. No, 100%. The shorter the deadline, the faster my creativity kicks in as well. Yeah, yeah, most definitely. That's exactly how it works. I love it. I really like how you make the distinction between habits and rituals. Let's chat about rituals for a moment because I found that a very useful distinction that, again, a different perspective. Well, I mean, you get a lot of people who are like, okay, on January 1st, I'm going to start dieting and exercise. I'm going to drop 20 pounds a month. Well, you're not, right? But if you start, if you say, on January 1st, I'm going to make it a priority to walk four times a week or walk three times a week or do something like that. In the course of 30 or 40 days, that becomes a ritual. And then once the ritual happens, it's easy to continue it. And that leads to the success you want from the habit. Mm-hmm. So habits fail, rituals succeed. And so resolutions fail, rituals succeed as well. So the goal is to figure out the thing that you're good at and the thing that you don't mind doing and turn that in. So for me, you know, getting on that bike is now a ritual. And I have in certain ways, I sleep in my bike shorts, I get up, I'm on the bike, I'm doing it. I don't have to think about it. I know what's gonna happen, I know how it's gonna feel. And you know, if you say, oh, I'm gonna start getting up at 5 a.m. and you've never done it before, you're not gonna get up every single day at 5 a.m. That's difficult mm-hmm. and figure out a way to make it once a week, then twice a week, then three times a week. You build it from that. Nice. But you have to start somewhere. Yeah, you start small. I love it. And you're not the first person I've heard that sleeps and exercise clothes, <laughs> makes it a habit. Twyla Tharp, phenomenal choreography. You know, I know exactly what she is. Yeah. yeah, exactly. It's getting in the cab. Once she's in the cab, she's committed. It's going to happen. That ritual, yeah. which is so perfect. And Dan Solomon's talked about that for a long time. One of the other things that I also appreciated was eliminating choice. And then I was rereading the section about clutter. And I'm looking around, being very happy you can't see my clutter <laughs> at the moment. I mean, it's kind of obvious that clutter can be distracting, but you found some really cool ways to simplify and to reduce choice because I guess that just taxes our mental energy. Yeah, I mean, for me, I know exactly what I'm going to be wearing. Am I going to the office? Am I going to, or, you know, am I work from home? Am I, am I giving a speech? Am I on TV? And so I have two sides to my closet. One is office and travel, and it's t shirt and jeans. The other is speaking slash TV, and it's button down shirt, jacket, and jeans, and that's it. Everything else is in my daughter's closet. I don't want to have to look at my vests, my sweaters, my suits, all that nice stuff, because I'll, oh, wow, that sweater. I wonder, Laura gave that sweater. How's she doing? I should look her up. You know, it's three hours later, I'm naked in the living room with Facebook, I haven't left the house. So you, you really want to sort of make it a little bit harder to have that happen. So for me, that's the limitation of choice. Oh my God, that is a genius example. I love that story. Oh my gosh, I could interview you all day about all those things. <laughs> now, the last thing I want to kind of touch on before people could reach out to you is entrepreneurship and ADHD. I see an incredible correlation, read lots of stuff that says there's a correlation you know, a lot of audiences in terms of both. What's your take on that? See, I mean, I think for me, the best entrepreneurs in the world are ADHD. And it's not surprising that almost all of them are because the ability to juggle a million things at once, to do different things, to think differently, right, is definitely part of that process. And so I realized one of the things after I sold my last company is that there really wasn't a group for people like us. So I launched Shank Minds. And the premise behind Shank Minds was simply that we should have a place to come together that doesn't cost an arm and a leg, that isn't judgmental, that you know, sits there and offers help when people need it. And so that's what Shank Minds became. It's a mastermind of about 30 or 40 people. And we get together once or twice a week by Zoom. We have a 24-hour Facebook channel. And the premise is just a place where we can all come together, ask questions, talk about things like that, and not have to worry about, are people going to think I'm crazy for this? We're all crazy, right? We're all a little bit different. And so been going out for about seven or eight years. Very cool. That's awesome. My experience too, I mean, we only work with entrepreneurs and so many of them have ADHD. And this is where you create a community, you found community, coaches a community. I mean, so many people have said, oh my gosh, 
I finally fit in the island of misfit toys. Yeah. You know, we're all the same. 100%. And then we're not misfits anymore. 100%. So it's so critical to find a community and find people with whom you can relate, aren't judgmental, can listen to your version of crazy, not think it's crazy, add, you know, constructive advice, saying, no, 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 that's going to do you more harm than good. <laughs> Stay with the plan, yeah. you know, all the things. So I could not agree more. Now, I also, my husband's ADHD, my daughter is ADHD. So yep. we exist quite happily in our little world. Yep, love that. So Peter, if people want to know more, obviously they can get the book everywhere. I was very easy to find. But if people want to connect with you, your community, Shank Minds, how can they find you? I'm at Peter Shankman on all the socials. PeterShankman.com is my email and Shank Minds is shankminds.com. Very simple. Awesome. Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom and your time with me today. Again, brilliant book, super practical, super clear, very positive take on something that often gets a bad rap and appreciate your contribution to the conversation. Thank you. My pleasure. Thanks so much. All right. Take care. God bless you.